Welcome, you're listening to a Serif Podcast, a go-to resource for investors, entrepreneurs, family officers and fund managers looking to learn about exciting investment opportunities around the world. Welcome everybody to our first podcast with Sherwood Neese and Jason Best from Crowdfund Capital Advisors. This is Mark Walsh. I've got my partner Chris Tell on the line with me as well. How are you guys doing today? Doing great, thanks. Great. Wonderful. It's great to be with you guys. And you guys are bi-coastal today, right, Jason? So you're out east and, or um, Woody, you're down in Florida and Jason, you're in California? Correct. That's correct. Okay, great. So we're, of course, doing this uh, from where we live in New Zealand, bridging technology and uh, connecting the, the world here. So today we're going to speak with uh, Jason and, and Woody about uh, what their activities in the crowdfunding space are, uh, are looking like. We're going to talk a little bit about the history of how they got involved with the JOBS Act, which is fascinating, uh, their work with the act and, and uh, um, how it's progressed, what they're working on currently. But we're going to go ahead and, and start with their backgrounds first. So Chris, why don't you go ahead and, and take it away? Yeah, sure. Um, first, I just wanted to mention that we had Jason at um, at our Aspen meetup just uh, probably about a month ago now, I guess, Jason. And um, I know from member feedback at that event that um, it was uh, the speech that he gave was one of the most um, interesting and insightful speeches in the space. And it's no, um, it's no secret to Mark and I, based on the background from uh, of Jason and Woody, which I'd like to delve into today, and I think that's where we'll kick this off, because um, Jason and Woody were actually successful entrepreneurs um, that actually that, that um, looked at the opportunities in this space and, and really what needed to be done. And I think it's fair to say, guys, that you did what many regulators and um, bureaucrats had said was impossible to do. So why don't uh, why don't you give me some background around um, how you got involved with the Jobs Act? Sure. I mean, this is Jason. I'll start things off, and then uh, uh, Woody can join in. I mean, we, as you said, we're we're both uh, entrepreneurs. Uh, both have had a chance to build successful companies, um, and I'll t- I could talk a bit about my uh, the companies I've been involved with, and Woody can talk about his. But uh, the most recent one of which was a healthcare technology company called Kinzer Software. Uh, where we were providing electronic medical records uh, to uh, home health agencies. We were able to grow that business uh, from uh, five employees to 100 employees and from about a million in revenue to about 20 million in revenue in about four years. Uh, we were a two-time Inc. 500 company, so like among the fastest 500 growing uh, private companies in the U.S. And uh, during that time, uh, and previous to that, with other entrepreneurial ventures, we've raised capital from angels, VCs, private equity groups uh, for the businesses. So we knew what that process was like. We knew how hard it was. Uh, and certainly, we began talking about that actually uh, at a friend's wedding in August of 2010, because uh, Woody and I have been uh, friends now for 20 years. Uh, we met in, uh, in graduate school. And um, we're talking about the lack of access to capital. And the question really came down to if I can give away money on sites like Kickstarter, if I can lend money to entrepreneurs in the developing world on sites like Kiva, why can't I invest in businesses every day uh, that I use every day or in entrepreneurs that I believe in? And that's really the process uh, that we uh, you know, began this whole genesis of this idea of how can we change securities laws to, number one, allow everyone, unaccredited investors included, to be able to invest, and also the opportunity for general solicitation to take place. 
in the United States so that we could make it more available and really update the securities regulations uh, to you know the internet age. Woody? Yeah, the, the thing that I'd add to that, um, and Jason and I, to the point that you brought up earlier, we're practitioners in this process. We are entrepreneurs that have built successful businesses that have raised uh, millions of dollars in the private capital markets and understand what's known as the stickiness of the process. So anyone that's invested in a company that's not a public company most likely had to hear of that, that investment opportunity through someone that they knew directly or through a friend of a friend. It's, um, you couldn't use the mechanisms which we communicate today, meaning the internet, in order to solicit people for an investment opportunity because those um, the ability to do that was outlawed in 1933, well before the internet was even in existence. So when we went down this path to legalize debt and equity crowdfunding, our goal was to really bring, like Jason was saying, the, the securities laws to the internet age and say, if we communicate via the internet, if we share information on Twitter and Facebook so that we have information in a more rapid fashion so that we can make better decisions, why aren't we relying on that type of technology in order to facilitate capital formation for startups and small businesses? Why are they kept out of these um, opportunities and the technology so that they could actually grow faster if only we change these laws? And that's really what we went to Washington, D.C. with um, a 10-point framework called the Startup Exemption to look at the bottlenecks that exist in the private capital markets and allow us to address them so that we can use the internet and general solicitation, that we don't have to restrict it only to the wealthy, but um, anyone that wants to invest in these businesses. That's, um, you, you guys bring up a very interesting point, um, and really that was around the fact that legislature very rarely changes, um, at least, um, with, with respect to the financial services and um, the regulatory um, environment around financial services. And for the last 80 years, we've not had any significant changes in that space um, with securities laws and um, the ability, as you mentioned, for private companies to raise capital. Um, what sort of, I mean, I can only imagine um, what my friends would say to me if I went out and tried to change or suggested changing um, something that existed for close to 100 years. You know, what, what sort of feedback did you guys get when you first came up with this crazy idea? <laughs> People laughed at us uh, <laughs> uh, and told us we were crazy and we should uh, not waste our time and we should go back to work and uh, you know, find something else to do because this was never going to happen. I mean, every security attorney we talked to said that uh, everybody who had, you know, experience in the space said that and I think that's you know one of the things that entrepreneurs can bring to these situations and someone new can bring to these situations is the fact that you know you have to bring equal amounts of you know naivete and maybe a little bit of crazy to 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 try something new I mean we were very fortunate we had great timing uh, because the country was in a you know still dealing with the global financial crisis and Washington was full of people the elected officials who were looking for something that they could do uh, to demonstrate that they were trying to help the economy move forward, uh, and, and we had a lot of good luck, and we met a lot of you know people who were willing to you know listen, and willing to work with us, and really kind of move this agenda forward. So I mean, it was definitely a, a something that most people never thought we had a chance to do, and sometimes we agreed with them, but we kept going, 
and then for, for me it was a it's been a powerful lesson in the power of perseverance. The, Sounds like a convergence of um, uh, economic troubles together with your um, I guess uh, naivety in bureaucracy and that <laughs> that managed to um, break through. That's very true. We um, we understood that this was going to be a fix that needed to take place in Washington, be it the SEC or a legislative one. Believe it or not, it was the SEC that turned us on to this legislative route because they were not prepared to make any further changes in the securities laws. Um, but it was, like Jason said, it's a combination of showing up, um, not knowing what you cannot do, but what's possible making sure that you're connected with the right people. So the, the rules that we followed are the same rules that we follow in entrepreneurship. It's really the same rules that investors follow in investing in the right business, which is who's going in on that investment, who do you have surrounding you, what people with better connections, deeper pockets, more knowledge and experience can help you get done what you need to get done. And we followed that same template when we went to Washington, D.C. We asked people who they knew who could help us, uh, and we were able to build our own coalition. People on the Hill asked us to form a lobby group or hire a lobby firm to help us get this done. And we looked at each other and said, with what money? We're willing <laughs> to use our own money to fly here and get this done, but we don't have millions of dollars to buy off politicians. <laughs> you either get on board because you realize that entrepreneurship, innovation, and jobs really get our economy going, or don't worry, you don't have to talk to us. And that's why 98% of the House voted in favor of this because entrepreneurship, innovation, and jobs is something both sides of the you know aisle agree on. Yeah, very good. So um, in terms of the process, how did you guys go about doing this? Did you create your own regulatory framework proposal or how do you use the web and public solicitation for the purchase of securities? Or what exactly? Yeah, I mean, we it was it was kind of a funny it, it was it was kind of a funny um, process. We sat down at my uh, dining room table, and one side of the screen of uh, the computer screen was uh, you know uh, uh, the five or six rules that the rules that governed that have governed the way people raise money through private uh, private securities for you know decades, and the other side of the screen was a was a blank word document. And we just said, you know, if we're gonna we were gonna rewrite these rules that were written 80 years ago today, how would we do it? And how could we do it in a way that we thought had uh, investor protection, but also allowed for people to raise capital in, in an efficient way? And so that that's that was the, the kind of the, the kickoff process. And uh, you know, and then we we began, you know, like what he said, we started out at the SEC, and they said. Nice idea, but you know you'll need a legislative uh, fix to to make that change, and so we began that process. Woody, um, we you know, but Jason and I and Zach is the the third cohort in this whole thing. That's right, the silent one. Um, we weren't um, so naive to think that we had the final solution. We knew what what we needed to do. We knew what changes needed to be made, but we knew that this input was greater than us. And so we actually had the first roundtable shortly after we came up with this in San Francisco, where we invited people from industry, people that were lawyers, people from crowdfunding platforms, people that had a vested interest in what we thought would be changing the way we go about and fund startups and small businesses. 
and got feedback from them as to our 10-point framework. And we're able to, again, build a coalition that was bigger than ourselves and a bigger voice to go back to Washington, D.C. with and say, we came up with this, we vetted it, we've talked about the pros and cons, here's a rational basis why we put these caps and limits in there. This is a starting point for discussion. Our 10-point framework was drafted into an eight-page legislation. And that's really what Title III of the JOBS Act is. It was eight pages of uh, that came from our 10-point framework. So um, I'm curious, was the existence of um, uh, Kickstarter and um, platforms like that, do you think that there was a, um, a certain amount of credibility that that brought to what you were attempting to do? Um, given the fact that you now had this framework where um, you know people were putting forward capital without getting any compensation really in terms of equity or debt, but you know getting for example you know if it was a, a company that was uh, creating um, a video, you might get the first look at that video um, you know given the fact that that had taken off and was in existence and was essentially the market proving the model um, do you think that that uh, gave any impetus towards um, your proposals? You know, I think it was, um, I, I think it, for most people in Washington, they didn't know what Kickstarter was. Uh, <laughs> and so right. while they, they, the market had really grown, and I think by that at that point maybe it was about a $500 million or so that had been raised through Kickstarter uh, at that time, uh, but the, we were bringing sort of new information to a lot of people in DC, even of the existence of these of these platforms, and so it was it was certainly a lot of education we had to do about what is social media, a lot of education about what these uh, rewards-based crowdfunding platforms were, and being able to bring that data to them to, to as a as a part of the basis for our argument. I think the one thing that I would add to that is, we showed up there with a theory that because crowdfunding in a donation and perks-based format is working successfully and transparently and efficiently, that if we add on the ability for investors to turn those donations into a vested interest, we could really stimulate the economy. That was a theory. Now that we see it happening, we see that it's true that these people that have a vested interest are marketing agents for these business. People that pre-order products, like in the Oculus Rift example that was sold to Facebook for $2 billion, that got uh, you know a, a, a goggle but did not have equity in the company, they're irritated that they helped get the company to that level and can't benefit financially. So they have now proven the fact that if you give these people that buy these crowdfunding campaigns a vested interest, maybe in addition to a perk that they want to get, they're actually going to go out there and do something better for that business. And now, just most recently, a couple weeks ago, we've had our first crowdfund company go public. Um, and it was a company that raised money out of Israel. So we've now seen the entire life cycle of uh, companies that are formed, that go to crowdfunding, and have the opportunity for an exit on a public market. And those people that were crowdfunded investors in June on that crowdfunding platform for that company have seen over a 20x return on their money um, when that company went public. Well, um, yeah, this I mean, this is a space that Mark and I have followed closely for um, for a long time. And um, as you as you both know, one of the companies that we were introduced to some good time back was um, uh, 
another company that we're going to be discussing in um, in one of these follow-on podcasts, and we can discuss that one as well as this this Israeli company that you've just mentioned. Um, I think that's going to be a, a very interesting topic, but we'll leave that for a for a separate um, podcast. I think. What I'm curious of, you know, is is that that process of getting to the actual legislature being signed. I mean, you James must have had a lot of low points and a lot of high points. Can you talk a little bit about those and what were they? <laughs> yeah, there were lots. Um, you know, I guess uh, maybe we can each take one. I'm, I, for a you know, a low point uh, for. You know, we had one experience. It was both a low point and ultimately became a high point. Um, one of the uh, ideas that, uh, that we had was to have a uh, a rally in in Washington on the steps of the Capitol, or on the, you know, on the grounds of the Capitol, for entrepreneurs to come together and to. We had just passed uh, with 95 percent uh, the the House representatives, and now we're going over to the Senate, and we wanted to do something to kind of kick off the excitement for the Senate to take up the legislation and, and move this continue the forward progress and uh, we, we had a we had the, a great spot uh, on the on the Capitol steps it was uh, near the on the grounds of the Capitol between where people commuted to work and their offices on the Senate side uh, the problem was it was uh, a rainy cold windy day <laughs> where it was sort of like sleeting rain uh, and uh, entrepreneurs are busy people and so we had a, a pretty small turnout for our from a, no, a number of entrepreneurs' perspective, uh, but what we did have is we had the press that came, we had the the Democratic and Republican sponsors of the bill, and the Congress came, uh, and we had uh, you know three of the of the Senate staffers who stopped by, two of the Senate staffers who stopped by, um, talked, find, tried to find out what we were doing, asked us uh, you know to tell them more about this proposal, gave us our business cards, and said, look, when you're done with the rally, come and see us in our offices. And we did, and we had substantive meetings, which turned into a number of meetings. And those two offices, two of those were, were two of the three offices that ultimately sponsored uh, the Jobs Act in the Senate. So sometimes, from like the the lowest, to the, kind of the low moment of where do we go from here, uh, you can have you know th things can turn around uh, in a heartbeat. I think my yeah. story is one that uh, is a funny one. <laughs> the uh, it was a real honor in this entire process to have so many people engaged, and that includes the White House. Um, right after our first hearing on the Hill, which is only five months after we showed up in Washington, it was a House hearing called by Daryl Issa, who sat down with me in private quarters after the meeting. He's the chairman of the committee. He said, we are going to make this happen. He's a Republican. The White House reached out to us, and we thought it was a joke. Um, but um, we responded with our two-page write-up so they would know what's going on and we worked with some other people in the industry that helped us with this as well and we started our dialogue with the White House and it was uh, a really frank conversation about what does this mean for the capital markets, what does this mean for innovation and entrepreneurship and how can we get this done and so when it was getting close to the House, um, House the Republicans in the House had drafted the bill and uh, the, the White House came out with a paragraph in favor of the bill. And so I said to my contact there, I said, you know, this statement of administrative support, is, it's nice, but it would be good if you guys had a press release or something that would <laughs> announce how much you're in favor of this. And our contact at the White House goes, 
it doesn't get any better than a statement of administrative support. This is essentially the President of the United States coming up publicly saying, we are in favor of your bill. And Jason and I went, oh, okay. Got it. <laughs> there are lots of examples of that where you know, we didn't know the rules of how things worked in Washington, so we would just ask for something that was thought of as you can't ask for that or you can't do that or that's not possible. And Sometimes it wasn't possible, but there were a number of times where we were able to you know, just sort of bring a fresh approach or you know, solve, solve the problem or answer the question in a, in a new way or a different way, and you know, people got on board. I mean, uh, we had the chance, we had the, the privilege of, of uh, now testifying between the House and the Senate a total of five times between Woody and myself. Uh, and so a chance to really engage in a formal way and then a, an opportunity to engage in a, in a very informal way with both sides of the aisle. I think the only other thing I would say politically is there were a number of times we had, you know, people tried to pull us kind of to the left or to the, to the right uh, to make this a, a partisan issue and we we'd resisted all that and right, stayed right down the middle and just really stayed on policy and out of politics and just said, look, we're here for crowdfunding, we're here for entrepreneurs, we're here for crowdfunding, and I think that's uh, it was one of the important lessons for us is you, you have to uh, you know stay on policy, not on politics. Jason and Woody, the Switzerland within the White House, eh? <laughs> 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 so, um, is it true that you guys were in the Rose Garden when uh, <coughs> President Obama signed the Jobs Act into law? It is indeed. It was a uh, an incredible and a surreal moment. Yes, there been, were uh, very rewarding. There were only, uh, I think, two hundred people um, or so that were invited to the event, and uh, there were seven parts to the Jobs Act. So to have five of us there um, for our one part, uh, we thought was a, a huge honor as well. And um, one of the statements that was made about um, by the president was that this this is game changing. Um, why do you think? Why do you think he said that? I mean, I believe it is. It's it is it is a watershed moment in history, in the history of, of securities uh, in the U.S. And now, as, as we're uh, the work that we're doing, you know, globally, it, it really is a huge change to to enable people to, for the first time, have access to raise money for their businesses, whether it be an existing small business that just doesn't have access to working capital because of the way banks operate. And maybe it's the, the access for an entrepreneur who's got a great idea but doesn't live in Silicon Valley. Maybe they live in you know another city in another in, whether it's whether it be in you know Dallas or Houston or uh, the small town of Louisiana where I grew up. You don't have to have those those connections. You can raise money, you can build a prototype, you can demonstrate traction, and and get follow-on financing. And that's one of the things we've seen already a number of times in this market is it, it can be a catalyst. To help existing small businesses grow, as well as new technologies be developed. This is game changing because it does exactly what we set out to do, which is democratize access to capital so that, as Jason said, you don't need to be living in these money centers in any part of the world. You can go to your friends, your family, a community of people that believe in what you're going to do and trust you to do that and raise money from them. This, this shifts the power. Doesn't take power away, but it 
uh, opens up the door to allow other people to access capital so that we've got better, stronger businesses that are coming down the pipe later on for the more institutional players that are out there. And we really believe that this will make for stronger and better companies down the road, ones that really should get funding and probably couldn't have gotten funding until this came about right now. This is this is just the continuation of a larger theme, right? It's it's as we've seen our um, you know trans, you know relationships that have moved online, personal relationships have moved online, transactions, business transactions have moved online, public stock trading moved online. Now we have private securities trading moved online. Now we're moving into this sort of radically decentralized financial system that will allow a lot more people to have access to really interesting deals that will both increase deal velocity and decrease deal friction, which will open up a ton of opportunities for new innovation that we're really excited about. Well, we're definitely seeing a lot of that taking place already um, in, in the space. And I mean, look, if you can date online, then why can't you invest online, right? Um, <laughs> right. So tell, tell, tell me a little bit about um, how, why you founded Crowdfund Capital Advisors, and then um, what 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 you gents are working on now? Um, that that um, you know we, we dealt with a lot of this in um, in Aspen for our Serif um, Syndicate, but um, I'd like to just cover some of that now if we can. Sure, um, we founded uh, Crowdfund Capital Advisors uh, right after the signing ceremony at the White House uh, to create a, you know, a, new, uh, a new business to be able to utilize our, our knowledge, our network, uh, and, and our capabilities to be able to bring crowdfunding kind of globally. And so that's, that's what we've done over the last two and a half years is to build a business that we, our clients uh, work, we work with regulators and governments we work with investors, meaning like hedge funds, family offices, private equity groups. Uh, we work with uh, corporations and we work with uh, entrepreneurs and other businesses in the space, basically companies that are part of this crowdfunding ecosystem to help them grow and, and succeed. What we started out to do was to take our knowledge and experience and put it in a book, uh, put it in a World Bank report put it in a, a template that can be used by entrepreneurs, investors, governments to take what we've done in the United States and replicate it globally. What we realized along the way is a lot of people are coming to us with amazing technologies that they're building for the system. And we're seeing that this market is evolving into something that is much more and much broader than just these portals, these websites, these crowdfunding websites. It's a, an ecosystem of opportunities that is turning into an investment opportunity for people to be looked at as uh, an area to be deploying capital. And so we've played an active role in that too by seeing where we think winners are going to be um, existing and getting in early, becoming advisors to some of them, and in other cases becoming investors to some of them. So you chance are investing in this space? We are. And um, what's, what are the kind of clients that you guys are um, working with on your advisory projects? Can you talk a little bit about that? Well, the, we, we talk about this crowdfunding ecosystem. Maybe I can kind of define that a little bit. We, it's, it's sort of like 
you know, for, for the folks who are listening who may be familiar with the online advertising world, you first started out with, you know, platforms that were, you know, selling ads. And then around those platforms, there were a constellation of businesses that were created, an ecosystem that were created to make that marketplace for online advertising efficient and effective. Uh, we're seeing already that being formed today in crowdfunding. As, as Woody said, there are crowdfunding platforms uh, that are available, but there are also now new services uh, that are being created in this crowdfunding ecosystem, which fall into four categories. First, it's the platforms for primary issuance and secondary uh, sale of securities. They're kind of in the first category, the market infrastructure. Two, trust and transparency tools. We need the ability for uh, you know people to to trust and provide better transparency on transactions so that these marketplaces can scale. Third, uh, metrics and analytics. So people, so that entrepreneurs can be more effective in how they raise money and, and, and investors can be uh, more careful in their diligence. And the fourth category uh, in the ecosystem we call the white space. Uh, the, all those things that you never knew you needed. Like if someone had told you, you know, uh, in the US uh, five years ago that instead of a taxi, you would press a button on your smartphone and get into the back of a stranger's car who would take you someplace and, you know, without changing any cash at all, you get out and, and you know, complete the transaction automatically, you probably, you know, would have thought that was crazy. Uh, but now with Uber and Lyft and other things, that's a everyday occurrence. And so those kinds of services that didn't exist before in the traditional markets will be created and, and we want to be there to make those investments. With any new technology or with any new sector, um, one of the things that often crops up is, um, you know, there's risk where there's reward. Um, could you tell us three things that you can think of right now um, that an investor should know about the, the, the crowd finance industry? You know, really just, I guess, uh, the question that I've got is how do you separate some of the hype that exists out there and that will exist as, as this grows um, and how do you how do you separate that from the reality on the ground? I mean, I'll take a swing at it. I mean, I think you know one of the things is we spend every single day in this space. Uh, we've now worked in over 28 countries, um, and we're you know as well as a deep expertise in 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 here in the U.S. And so we are vetting companies and helping to separate that kind of hype from reality every single day. Uh, it's, it's important for us that uh, this be a, a stable market that forms and scales over time. And so, you know, we're trying to do everything we can, like, uh, in, to create best industry best practices. We created the, you know, we founded the uh, uh, industry trade organization, crowdfunding regulatory intermediary advocates. Uh, that is now the, the the group that is the industry voice at the SEC and FINRA. Uh, we also have created industry trade groups in other countries and regions around the world. And we also created uh, a crowdfunding research program at UC Berkeley uh, to create those best practices and academic practice and, and policymaker uh, forums to, to help those processes uh, to, to scale. I, I, one of the data points definitely is this industry, crowd finance, is here, it's real, and it is growing. It's happening. It's a billion dollars has been invested into the industry, the infrastructure of the industry since 2006. So if you think it's new, which it is, if you look at the grand spectrum of how industries are developed, a billion dollars shows a lot of validation. 
a billion dollars was also um, surpassed on Kickstarter as a platform alone in terms of funding, which adds a lot of credibility to what's going on. Facebook, again, paid $2 billion for a company that was proven by the crowd to be a, a, a tool or technology that they should acquire for their own business model. I think when you look at these different billions, you're seeing that this is something that you should be taking very seriously. This is something that you should be looking at as an investment opportunity. And you need to spend the time to find the resources or the individuals that can really help you figure out which part of this ecosystem is the right for you to be right area for you to be investing in. That's um very, very wise words, gents. Um, and it's key to one of the reasons that um you know, we are engaging with you guys. I think that it's it's fair to say it's very it'll be very difficult to find two gentlemen that are um, more knowledgeable in the space than yourselves, and you know, in a position where you're not only seeing what's taking place in the United States, but you're seeing globally the opportunities that are opening up with your research and your work, the advisory work that you're doing on a global basis. And um, I think we can. I'm excited to talk about some of that in our next podcast, um, which uh, we'll we'll have out to readers in the next few days. Yeah, we want to probably wrap it up there then today, guys. And thank you for your uh, your time. Um, fascinating story, really. And I think we're just getting started. So let's leave it there, and uh, we'll rejoin Jason and Woody and Chris and myself for the second set uh, second setup here which is, uh, as Chris alluded to a moment ago, we're going to be talking a little bit more about the countries leading the charge on this um, and also a little bit about what this means for traditional broker-dealers and investment bankers. So until next time, guys, thanks. Thank you for listening. This podcast has been brought to you by Serif, a private global investment syndicate. To learn more about Serif, visit www.serif.bc. That's www.serif.bc www.serif.bc